we made a concerted effort to really focus our practice in on Web3, on blockchain, on NFTs, on DAOs, on ICOs, because we knew that, you know, from our perspective, and this is, again, there, there may be some really brilliant attorneys out there that can do all of this and do wills and estates and do family law and do criminal defense and all, you know, um, but we just, we wanted to really focus on those issues because there's so much information coming out so often that we want to be prepared to represent our clients uh, better than anybody out there. And that's, that's really how we, how we came to the conclusion that we got to focus on this. And by the way, and this is something really important to know too, it's not that a different set of laws apply to Web3. That is not the case. There are plenty of traditional laws that apply to Web3. What's powerful is understanding the mechanics of the technology and the implications those have on existing laws. That's where the power is. Welcome back to Cool Hand Crypto, where cinema, culture, and crypto collide. My name is Matt Silverman, and please remember to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast app. I first heard today's guest speak on a Twitter space, which has become a haven for Web3 crypto enthusiasts to gather, learn from each other, and have public conversations. I was listening to this talk in particular because it was about the various legal hurdles of navigating crypto and NFTs. I'm a filmmaker and co-founder of The Sherwood Project, and we've been so caught up in the creative decisions that we are now playing catch-up when it comes to contracts, terms and conditions, forming a company, and general legal guidance to help ensure we're not just making sound creative decisions, but strong legal choices as well. In a space, no less, Web3 world, which really is the bleeding edge of new technology and laws. To help find our way through it, today's guest is an attorney and partner at Web3 Lawyers, co-founder and CEO of Farfetch Labs, and charismatic champion bridging Web2 into Web3. Carlos Garcia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that beautiful introduction, by the way. I, I appreciate it. You earned it, my friend. <laughs> thank you. Let's start with the pivot into Web3. How did you go from regular law or, or law before Web3 into Web3 law? You know, it uh, it started with a very technical, important thing, uh, which was a stale bag of Cheetos. Uh, you actually, uh, at the time, uh, my future partner, who I didn't know would be my partner and, and my chief technical officer at Farfetch Labs, uh, Tony Munoz, shout out to Tony. Uh, he had an office right around the corner from our law firm and my, my wife, who, who was also our paralegal, would walk by and uh, she would see this stale, like, like literally this stale bag of Cheetos was sitting there for pr probably a solid week. All right. And uh, my wife was like, who's this stale Cheeto guy just, with, with, you know, over here, just leaving this on his desk. So I was like, yeah, that's really interesting. I should meet the stale Cheeto guy. Uh, we started talking and uh, one night my, my partner, Courtney Bowie, uh, and I were, were there and, uh, Tony comes into our office and he's like, Hey, um, I have sort of a cot, like it might be a contract issue. I don't, I don't really know. Can you guys take a look at it? And, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. And that really started us down the path of NFTs of, of crypto and doing all that stuff. So shortly thereafter, we got really into it. I mean, just went down a complete rabbit hole, uh, 
was lucky enough to to link up with some people and uh, and become the chair of the ABA subcommittee for intellectual property and NFTs, where I met one of our other very close friends and partners, Eliana Torres. She's also a subcommittee chair, and uh, it really all blossomed from there. And there was just a small group of us that would talk about this stuff all the time. A uh, bunch of lawyers who, uh, if I if I could take a, a just a second of personal privilege to say a big thank you to. Zach Lewis, Carlo D'Angelo, uh, Ash Kernan, Oscar Urbina, uh, Eliana Torres, and then Lynette and Angie, who, who handle all the stuff over here, uh, and Isaac and, and the rest of the crew. So that's that's the story. Stale Cheetos. I love how enthusiastic you are about this. I do want to go down the rabbit hole with you a little bit as far as what's going on in, in law and why you need certain things and whatnot. But why are you so enthusiastic about it? I am too. And sometimes it's hard to convince people who don't get it or, or are new to it or don't understand it um, what's so exciting about this new space. So what is so exciting about it to you? Let me have the audience and you just imagine for a second uh, a world where instead of buying a piece of property, waiting 35 days, paying for title insurance and, and having all these other transactional costs, uh, that you know the the deeds of a state are reconciled with the blockchain and that transaction becomes a 35 second transaction or um something that i really care about too i i served in the army for 17 years that's actually where i met my partner uh, imagine the va reconciling medical records and instead of service members having to wait months to get treated uh it, it becomes days or something much more manageable and it, and it's really you know, the decentralized nature, the immutable nature of the blockchain provides all these capabilities that I'm super excited about exploring. So it's cool. I think um, it was just it was time for a change, too, because I had been practicing criminal defense for a while. And um, it, it was just it, it was super interesting to me. And uh, and it just so happens that I, I'm a big nerd and, and there were a, a fair number of, of other big nerds in the space. So here we are. I love it. What is Farfetch Labs? Farfetch Labs is a blockchain and NFT technology company where we're really focused on pushing the boundaries of what Web3 and blockchain can do. Um, you know, another partner, our COO here at, at Farfetch Labs, um, Torito, he, uh, he's a fellow veteran also. And, um, you know, we just we saw this uh, acute need to explore the technology. And it needs to be explored because it's disruptive, and um, and you know, so the end result is just general improvement for the world, uh, more efficient processes, um, having you know the ability to instead of one giant company dictating what happens, uh, it, it's all of us. It's your regular everyday guy that really does have a say and an impact on uh, you know how information is used and digested. Um, you know, uh, and, and that's something that that's really important to us for a lot of reasons, but that's, um, Farfetch Labs is, is here to explore blockchain, Web3 and NFTs and just push the boundaries with what's possible. How does someone work with Farfetch Labs? Because it is different than working, just calling Web3 lawyers, right? Web3 lawyers, I could find a, a contact form or your phone number and get in touch with you, but going through Farfetch Labs is a different process, right? Yeah, yeah, slightly different. So we have kind of a traditional consulting model in some respects. Um, when we launched our project, uh, we're, we're minting our project right now at farfetchlabs.io. 
So you can go there and you can mint a scientist and the scientist NFT produces a vial token that can be redeemed for a number of things. Um, and we, we saw just this need for real sort of business legal consulting and, uh, the barrier to entry is pretty high when you start getting into consulting firms and, and legal services. So we thought, you know, why don't we create an NFT project where you're going to collect NFTs anyway, uh, you mint an NFT and then you have access to, to certain things that, that might otherwise be harder to attain. So, you know, lowering the barrier to entry and, and helping folks out that way. Uh, so the way that you get to Farfetch Labs is really through our Discord or our website uh, we have farfetchlabs.com, different than the IO, which is like our consulting website, come find us sort of thing. Um, but the vast majority of people that we meet are either part of our community because they own an NFT or at conferences. Uh, we just did Super Mint in LA a couple weeks ago. Um, so that's how you get a hold of us, either Discord website uh, or catch us out at a conference. I agree with you that Web3 is going to be pervasive across industries. It's going to be everywhere. But right now, what kind of projects and clients are you working with? Is it mostly NFT clients? On the Farfetch Lab side, uh, there's a fair number of, of what would be, you know, I guess uh, if you can even use the term traditional, uh, traditional NFT projects, um, you know, people that are, that are looking to launch an NFT and, and we advise on various aspects of that uh, and provide uh, full stack development services, things of that nature. So really, um, it, it's people from all walks of life. We, we have uh, real estate companies. Um, we have people that, that have, uh, uh, you know, established businesses that you wouldn't really think, hey, NFTs go well with this, but they see the potential to drive uh, just that customer interaction with Web3, whether it be through gamification or just minting an NFT and developing that sort of bond between customer and company. Um, and then on the Web3 side, gosh, we see on the Web3 lawyer side, we see all kinds of stuff. Um, a, probably a lot more, you know, what, what would be considered established folks are, are coming to Web3 lawyers, uh, largely because they see how quickly the industry is growing and the disjointed just guidance that's out there from various regulators and, and, and the government and different laws. And, and so now we have... Uh, um, a group of people who have really, a lot of them have done pretty well for themselves over the last couple of years. And now they're ready to take that next step to be a little more formal, create businesses, make sure there's really good legal strategies in place. A big buzzword in this, in web three is utility. Uh, Farfetch labs seems to have great utility, which is you, you buy the NFT and then you have access to a, a crack team of lawyers who, uh, and attorneys and, and insight, people with insight who can help you navigate this space. Uh, but what are you seeing w in, in most of the projects either you're working with or you just hear about? Are they mainly using NFTs for marketing or are they, do they also have utility with the NFTs that they're offering? I'll make a quick delineation. So on the Farfetch lab side, we provide what would be considered probably more ministerial, uh, like legal things. So like you know, boilerplate contract between an artist and a project creator for IP rights, that sort of thing. So it's not terribly complex, you know, in the legal respect. Um, what we do see is, I'd say the, the number of projects that are coming out for um, just access to culture in a community are, are very big right now. Um, 
the, you know, the utility, it, it can really be all over the place. Uh, there's some projects that, that go the gamification route. So they'll mint an NFT and say, uh, play to earn game coming, you know, whenever. Um, but the, the, the people that, that we are the best fit for are the ones that have utility that's ready. They're already planning to implement utility from day one. And uh, we realized early on the kind of company that we are. And, and um, there's plenty of labs out there. So I encourage everybody to sort of, you know, if you're going to do a project and bring on consultants and full stack developers and everything, make sure it's a good cultural fit. Because the place that we start from is utility first. You know, like you have to give your uh, your audience, your community, something of value for them to stay around. We're, we're sort of getting past the phase where it's just cool art. Um, there's nothing wrong with cool art. There's absolutely nothing wrong with cool art. But to be sustainable, there has to be more. Um, and, and of course, like the exceptions are, you know, the one of one established artists who are going to produce a project that's just that's one piece. It's, it's their craft. It's something very personal. Uh, they have a big following. Um, there's a difference between that and, and some of the other communities that are created. So that's sort of our, our mantra around here. You, you got to be utility first to make it in the long run. Yeah, amazing. I, I totally agree. And I think we're going to see a lot of NFT projects fail. And they're already starting to fail because they really aren't anything more than a profile picture or, or a JPEG. And uh, people want more. I, th I think that first that first um, run of, of that first buzz of NFTs that everyone went crazy about is, is gone. And so we're entering this new phase of people saying, well, what else? What else are we getting? Um, I, I do want to go down the rabbit hole a little bit, it, and it will be for sort of selfish reasons, because as the Sherwood Project, the, the project that I co-founded, um, is facing these questions, I think they would be helpful for other projects to hear. So what do you recommend for new NFT projects as far as legal protections? Yeah, so that that's actually a really good question. Um, I, I think the, uh, you know, one of the biggest things is, is making sure that you create a business entity early on. Um, creating a business entity early on shields you from personal liability in a lot of respects. Um, and, and you want to have that not just for when you launch the NFT project, if you know, there's any number of things that can happen. Um, I analogize it to, you know, if, if, uh, if I'm a store owner and I know there's, you know, a spill on aisle four and I do nothing to clean it up. Someone slips and falls. Well, I'm probably going to have a lawsuit on my hands. So similar to that, if you have a flaw uh, in your user interface or something that allows uh, a, a third party bad actor to come in and exploit your community and you know about it, you know, you want to have some protections in place. Number one, you know, you should clean it up. But uh, like terms of service, terms of use and having a business entity are really important to protecting your own personal wealth. Um, the other thing on, on sort of the, the back end before, uh, and I don't mean back end development, I mean just, just creating the project itself. The other things that it's very helpful for are, uh, you know, contracting. Let's say you have an artist or a developer that you're going to do a work for hire contract with. Things go south. Maybe they say you owe them money. They, they didn't get paid out correctly or, you know, whatever the case may be having a business entity protects your personal wealth in that respect too. Um, so I'd say the biggest things for projects starting out to know that they should have are number one, have an established business entity that, that, and it's not hard to do 
uh, LLC corporation. If you need really good advice on it, just get with an attorney and, and see what they think. Um, number two, do contracts. This is an industry where, and I don't mean smart contracts just to sort of draw a differentiation there for the audience. Uh, you know, you and I know, Matt, that smart contracts are really just, uh, it's, it's a, a piece of code that tells you uh, sort of what's going to happen when a, a certain event happens. It, it's more of an if-then statement. Um, what I'm talking about right here are traditional pen and paper contracts. Um, have contracts in place to protect yourself and more importantly, to ex set expectations between yourself, developers, artists, etc. cetera. Uh, the third thing is, is have a good terms of use, terms of service on your website. Um, make sure that you insulate yourself from liability as best you can. And the, you know, the law is not really designed so that we get ahead of every single problem and prevent it from happening. Uh, it's largely reactionary. But if you have some mitigating things in place, it, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to, uh, you know, to keep business going and, um, you know, just uh, make sure operations aren't interrupted. And then, you know, sort of the third, fourth and fifth things, I'll, I'll lump those all together. You know, make sure you talk to somebody who knows about the, the key sort of big ticket items in the industry right now, um, like taxes, securities, that sort of thing. You got to pay taxes on digital assets. Uh, big misconception out there about how that works. There's some nuanced rules that don't ap apply in certain circumstances. Again, not legal advice, just general information. Um, and then if, if you ever run into a situation where, just ask yourself a basic question. In this offering, am I giving somebody something that they are going to expect some kind of monetary return on or, 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 or something that can kind of be construed as an investment. And if the answer is yes, just get some advice from an attorney before launching it, because it's always better to be proactive rather than reactive with, uh, with business and with, and, and the law. Well said. So thank you for that. Um, what I, I've partnered with Luke Dale. He's my co-founder of the Sherwood project. We are 50, 50 partners. We know that, but we also recognize that we probably should have a, a shareholders agreement of some kind. Um, what is your recommendation as far as people who are partnering with other people on projects? That's a great question, Matt, also. Um, and that goes right along with creating a business entity. So anytime you create a business entity with multiple partners, you want to make sure that everybody is on the same page. You want to make sure to set expectations. Um, and that, that really addresses a lot of problems early on, whether it's uh, a capital contribution or just the role somebody is going to play in the organization, always a good idea. So if you're creating an LLC, a, uh, an operating agreement is a great tool for that. And it's um, fairly you know, easy for you to set up as long as both people know uh, what is being expected by the other party. Uh, if you're going to go uh, the C Corp route, just a, a corporation, uh, you're going to want to have in place some bylaws that say, um, you know, basically how, how the organization is governed, um, you know, and then, then we get into things like shareholders and, and how they vote and, and, um, and just sort of the nuts and bolts of how the business is run. Um, choosing whether you want to do an LLC or a C Corp, probably a good idea to, to just get with, uh, uh, you know, an attorney, CPA, someone who knows the ins and outs, there's going to be both tax implications as well as, uh, just how, how the business is governed. And, and actually, this is a good time to, to just briefly mention DAOs. 
that is a big buzzword right now in the industry. I, I'm sure you've heard it a bunch of times. Everyone's like, I, I want a DAO. I need to create a DAO, 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 DAO. Before you even dig in, what is a DAO? So a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. And think of it more as, as the mechanics to running and governing a business rather than the business itself. Um, and, and really, I encourage people to take a step back and, and be very deliberate about why they want to create any business entity, much less a DAO, um, and see what the implications are. And, and here's some really important things for everybody to know, okay? A DAO, as it stands, uh, is really only legally recognized as a business entity in, in one jurisdiction right now, that's Wyoming. Um, anywhere else, you're going to want to have a strategy in place where uh, – the DAO is, is sort of used or owned by another business entity that provides proper protections. So let's say in theory, let's say you're in, um, uh, in California, okay, and you want to start a DAO and you think, okay, I got my DAO. Um, everyone's protected just like they would be with an LLC, right? Uh, piercing the corporate bill, all, all, you know, all that stuff. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. So it, it does pay dividends to consult with people up front to make sure that everybody is getting the protections they, that they would normally expect from a, a business entity um, and to make sure that it's set up properly um, just so that, again, things can keep running smoothly. And another great reason why proactiveness is uh, it's, it's way harder to, to clean up a mess uh, when it's when, when there's certain things done, uh, you know, uh, that are out of your control. So, and, and that applies to pretty much every case ever in the law. Are you seeing actual DAOs being format formulated? Because I see a lot of different projects that are calling themselves DAOs, but they're not DAOs. They're really run by one person or two people. And they try to give sometimes in, in, in honest, good, uh, you know, intentions to give some of the power back to the community uh, but it's not really a DAO. It's it's really run by one person. Uh, so are you are you seeing real decentralized autonomous organizations being made? Yes, and um, and there's several platforms that they can be created on now. Um, a, a lot of people that are way way smarter than me have have created sort of uh, turnkey ways to create a DAO. Um, but yeah, and 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 that's sort of the. That's sort of a big question with DAOs, right? Like if everybody runs it, who's responsible for things at the end of the day? Um, and, and that's why I just encourage people to be really deliberate. What, what is it that you're looking for in your business? Are you, are you looking for a new way to govern and, and just make uh, everyone feel heard? Are, are you looking for just simple liability protections? Um, are you looking to do something cool and trendy, which is in so much as it doesn't conflict with other business interests and operations is, is okay too. But just, you know, that, that thoughtfulness before just saying, Hey, I heard about a DAO. It has three letters. Sounds super cool. Found a domain that ends in DAO. Let's make it happen. Um, just, just be more thoughtful about, about it before uh, hopping in there. Let's dig into work for hire contracts a little bit more. Why is it so important uh, to have those contracts in place, especially with artists. Uh, I see a lot of projects who jump into different relationships with artists, but there's there's really no agreement between them, and it creates difficulties later, or it can create difficulties later. 
So why is it so important to make sure that when you're working with an artist or if you are an artist, uh, you have proper uh, a proper legal agreement? That is uh, a very important aspect of the business when it comes to intellectual property. And I think the, the work for hire with artists is probably the easiest to understand. Um, so anytime you're going to be giving out intellectual property, whether it's just a, you know, a sale of an NFT to a certain extent, it, it it's almost always going to come with some acquisition of intellectual property. And maybe it's just a personal use, use license. I just, I can enjoy it for myself. Um, but intellectual property starts way, way before that. Okay. Intellectual property, um, in, in the sense of an NFT and NFT project, uh, when you're doing work for hires, you want to make sure that it's clear with the artist that if you're trying, if you're trying to acquire all the intellectual property for them, full intellectual property rights, you want to have that lined out in the contract so that you don't inadvertently get caught off guard once you mint. And then the artist comes and says, well, I actually need royalties from that. I actually need a piece of the pie as this project grows. Um, and the crazy thing is with this industry is that, um, you know, no, no one cares when there's no money to be made. A lot of people care when a lot of money is being made. And sometimes you don't know what the project until after mint and, and a, a community has established what the case might be. So getting a clean chain of intellectual property is really, really important. And usually where that starts is, is these work for hire contracts to make sure you know exactly who's commissioned to do what and um and it'll, it'll just save you a lot of time and hassle later on can you talk a little bit more about that as far as real world examples so i know that board apes i believe they give if i might be wrong about this but i think they give complete ip rights to the owner so if you own a board ape you can do whatever you want with it i believe as opposed to a matrix nft or a disney nft or, or some of these other ones where you buy it and but you don't own uh the you don't own the ip rights you you just own i guess the nft so can you can you sort of help navigate that difference between buying an nft but not necessarily owning everything about it there, there's just a lot of misconceptions in the industry so um you're you're correct that board ape yacht club holders do get uh commercial use rights now that that is something that's different than a full acquisition of complete and total intellectual property rights. Um, commercial use means that you can use the asset in a variety of ways. Um, there's also another project out there right now. Shout out to my friendly pandas who who may watch this. Uh, the friendly panda community has been growing. Uh, great great group of people. Uh, and Farfetch Labs, our NFTs come with commercial use rights. So let's say. Uh, you get a far-fetched lab scientist or, or, or maybe a friendly panda and, uh, and you want to create a plumbing company and you, you want to call it uh, scientist plumbing. Well, you can use our NFT as your mascot, so to speak. Now, the, the part that comes into play that's very important for people to remember uh, and, and, and a reason for projects to really look at how they craft these uh, uh grants of, of commercial use rights is you always want to make sure that people know they don't get the commercial use rights in perpetuity. So if you get the NFT, you have the commercial use, use rights while well, you have the NFT. But once you sell it, once you no longer own that, you no longer have 
an entitlement to the commercial use right. Uh, and there's some other projects. Shout out to the uh, the Crypto Geeks. That's another one that we're we're working on. Great artist. Uh, he's he's actually one of our developers too, Miklo. Um, and and so it, it's that that's that's very important to understand. And and, and from a, an NFT you know consumer standpoint, uh, always a good idea to look at what intellectual property rights you're getting with a project. My mind might melt in this part of the conversation, but the the securities aspect of nfts I, I i've talked to someone previously who spent the entire conversation telling me that their project was not a security not a security it was not a security why is this such a hot topic with nfts this is a very good time to talk about this too so let me let me um rewind the clock uh about, about a week and a half or so um the sec came out with some guidance that said there will be no amnesty or safe harbor for people that that create something that that is is deemed to be a security or that we think is going to be a security um as attorneys you can imagine that puts us in a real weird position because it's like okay if you have a client come in how do you best protect them normally a mitigating factor would be self-reporting um so it's it's a really interesting legal conundrum um, and, and something that we're, we're following really closely, uh, to be a security. So let me, let me tell you what this means. Okay. If you're a security, uh, if your offering is, is considered a security or, or an investment contract, which, which, you know, classifies you as security, uh, you're going to be regulated by the SEC. So there's a bunch of, uh, disclosures that are going to be required, uh, you're going to have to put into place some some good business practices to capture the information that needs to be delivered to the SEC. It's just a more time intensive practice. So that's that's all that really means. I know we, you know, everyone's like it's not a security. We got to you know, get around it. But you know, there there is also an argument to be made for projects that say, you know what, we're a security. I know it's going to take a few months to get filings through and and everything, but we'll just we'll go ahead and do it. The other part about being a security is that there's a KYC or know your customer protocols that have to be followed. Um, so in, in, in a lot of respects, it, it limits who can hold your asset if it's considered a security. So that's, you know, that's another important part. I, I don't want to just be dismissive of that uh, because the NFT world and, and the crypto world are, are very international communities. So there are, are some concerns, but um, let, let me give you the meat and potatoes. Okay. The, the test for something being classified as a security is, is actually based on something called the Howey test it comes from an, an old case about, you know, an orange grove, very, very dated case. Okay. Uh, and basically it says, you know, is there an investment of money into a common enterprise uh, with the expectations solely based on the efforts of others? And if the answer is yes, then it's, it's going to be considered an investment contract and therefore a security and there's a bunch of registration requirements. Um, now there's a bunch of other, there's exceptions to, to being considered a security, uh, which are, they're kind of a snoozer, so I won't do a total deep dive into them. But again, this is why it's, it's, it's worth your time and resources to consult with an attorney or some other business professional. Um, if you ever have a project where, it, you know, it's, you're gonna buy something. Uh, and expect a profit in return based on the efforts of others. Um, the, the interesting part for me as an attorney is looking at the 
the, the prong of the test uh, that considers the efforts of others. So what does it mean for something to, for some profits to be derived solely on the basis of efforts of others? Um, is it enough that, that I purchase this and then become a member of the Discord community and I get in there and I, I talk about it? Um, and I, I enjoy other community activities. Is that is that enough to say that it's not solely based on the efforts of others? Is it enough to show that um, you know I went to Twitter Spaces and really helped hype up and 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 get the project to where it is? You know, so there, there's all these really interesting questions that have yet to be answered. Um, but again, it's it's a really fact specific uh, you know information intensive process to see. Okay, are, are we gonna are we going to be in a position here where um, we're going to need to defend something in court? And I, I always use this common sense test. Okay. Whenever we're about to do something, I think to myself, can I explain what is about to happen here to a judge or a jury in, in just a few sentences? Um, and if the answer is no, then I really, really rethink it. Um, and that's just sort of like our cursory test for, for whether or not to do something. Yeah, thank you. I think you're the first guest I've had on the show who is answering every question I would have asked before I asked it. Uh, you're, you're doing oh, a, <laughs> a great job of just unpacking everything before I can get to it. So you're making my job easy. You're a good host, Matt. You're a great host. I, I want to go a little bit, just a little bit further with what you're saying, because I am hearing you, but I'm still... And maybe maybe this is the problem. Maybe it's impossible for a project to figure this out on their own without consulting someone like yourself to help guide them through it. But how do projects, because I get this sense that projects might slip into being a security by accident, that they're doing something that they think is not that, and then they slip into it. So is there an easy way to tell if you're sort of slipping? I, and I, I heard what you just said. So but it still feels um, with DAOs. And I mean, most, I hear about a lot of NFT projects that are between royalties or benefiting, you know, in some way with money. And, and, and I say, is this, is this a security? I'm not quite sure. So it ha is there any easy way to figure out if you're slipping into that territory or not really? You have to look at the whole package and digest it with, with an expert like yourself to really to really come to that conclusion. It's hard for me to say whether there's a, a quote unquote easy way. Um, I, I I guess my response to that would really just be, look, if, if you have something of value going back to someone, um, so in so much as you have the resources, can consult with someone before doing it. Now, I'll, um, I'll give you a few practical examples too, because I really wanna drive this point home with the audience. So we, we use something, uh, it's a blockchain case litigation tracker. And what a lot of courts has said, have said is uh, you can write up a great terms of use. Uh, you can put into that terms of use that, that you're marketing a, a collectible, that it is not a security, that it's not an investment, um, and disclaim every single thing that would pertain to the Howey test or, or something that would make, make the offering into a security. Uh, but what courts are really going to look at is what in fact happens. So you can say things all you want. It's not that that doesn't matter at all. It's that that is only a portion of what's going to be tested and, and evaluated by that court. 
So you can say all day it's not a security, but if the mechanics of it really work like a security, the disclaimer is probably not going to, not in itself going to, going to save you. Um, so I don't know that there's an easy way to just say, yeah, it's not going to be a security. Um, I, I would just say, you know, uh, get out there, find some information. You know, the SEC guidance is publicly available to everybody. Poke around on the SEC website. Um, and I, look, man, I, I don't come from a family of lawyers or doctors or anything like that. I actually come from a very, uh, you know, lower middle class Mexican family in Pueblo, Colorado. And I, I realized that the barrier to entry to, to, get, um, to get legal services and, and, and consulting services is, can seem very high sometimes. Uh, so I, I, I analogize the practice of law to hiring an electrician, okay? If, um, you know, if, I, if I have a light bulb go out up here, I could probably get on a ladder and, and change that thing out. Um, if I have a, an electrical socket go bad, I, I, I could probably do that. Um, but I, I can't rewire my whole house. Uh, I, I, like, I wouldn't know how to do that. I, I wouldn't know how to ground a house or do, uh, you know, I, I, there's just a lot of things I wouldn't know how to do. Um, same thing when it comes to the law. Okay. If it's, do you always need an attorney for everything? No, there's probably going to be some attorneys that see that they're like, no, no, you need an attorney for everything. Right. Not, not the case. What you should be thinking about are different factors, not necessarily yes or no test, but think about the factors. Is it something that you have the ability to read and understand? Is there enough information available to the public to make you feel comfortable doing whatever you're going to do? And remember, an attorney, we're just a, we're a conduit. We're a representative, an advocate, a trusted advisor. Uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be the person pursuing the action that's ultimately going to be responsible. So figure out if it's something that falls into your comfort level. Um, and if it does, great. And if not, then then find some people. Look for, for materials online. Uh, schedule a consultation with an attorney. Really, really get out there and, and get in depth. And, and I'd also say, you know, um, the, again, the, the, the cost thing is weird when it comes to legal services. So, so like if, if I told you that by going to an attorney, um, you'd spend a hundred dollars and, and get it right the first time, or you could wait for something to deteriorate and fall apart and it's going to cost a hundred thousand dollars. Well, that in, in a lot of respects that, that, just pure economically driven decision, right? Um, but we're in a world that's full of startups and new projects and, and people who haven't done these things before and, and potentially limited resources. So, you know, I, I would just say if you can do it and if not, then then do a lot of lot of reading and research. Again, not not legal advice, just sort of my my two cents on the uh, on the issue. Because Web3 is such a new frontier. Are you equipped to, not just you, but is any attorney equipped to deal with the projects um, because there's new laws and new things happening all the time uh, or, or know that, that you're waiting on certain decisions and you're waiting on certain uh, new laws to happen? Um, or I, I've heard both. I've heard, I've heard some people say this is a new frontier and we're figuring it out. And I've heard other people say it's all boilerplate and we're really just tweaking some language. I don't fancy myself an expert. I 
I think that this is an industry where there are plenty of attorneys that are equipped to deal with these issues. And, and when you get right down to it, it's not like anybody has a choice anyway. Okay, the technology is moving forward. Uh, so I, I think that there are a, a good number of attorneys who really know what they're doing. And, and really, we're operating off of the best information possible. And that includes everybody in the NFT and crypto spaces. You operate off of the best information possible. You make the best decisions you can, knowing that there's some amount of assumed risk, uh, which isn't, you know, a whole lot different from some other industries. There's always going to be some risk there. Uh, but we made a concerted effort to really focus our practice in on Web3, on blockchain, on NFTs, on DAOs, on ICOs, because we knew that, you know, from our perspective, and this is, again, there, there may be some really brilliant attorneys out there that can do all of this and do wills and estates and do family law and do criminal defense and all, you know, um, but we just, we wanted to really focus on those issues because there's so much information coming out so often that we want to be prepared to represent our clients uh, better than anybody out there. And that's, that's really how we, how we came to the conclusion that we got to focus on this. And by the way, and this is something really important to know too, it's not that a different set of laws apply to Web3. That is not the case. There are plenty of traditional laws that apply to Web3. What's powerful is understanding the mechanics of the technology and the implications those have on existing laws. That's where the power is. It's not... You know, I don't um, I don't go into the metaverse and say, all right, guys, this is metaverse law 101. Let me teach you this new stuff. <laughs> not yet. That's not the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, not yet. Yeah, we could, it could be a different podcast in a few years. Right. But um, but really, it's it's just applying the mechanics of the technology to existing laws, which which, um, you know, fortunately, we have a great team of folks here that that has uh has really come a long way and, and, and some really trusted advisors and, and experienced attorneys that, that have been practicing law for longer than I've been alive that, that have come on board to, to help out. Why is it important to go to NFTLA or any of these conferences and represent yourself? Because I want people to know that, that we're out here and that we exist. And, and I want, I, I really, really think that, um, Despite the metaverse and and all the things that we do online, I really love that people know that the the face to face human interaction is what makes a difference. I, I want people to know that it is in fact a good idea to live largely in the real world and still have a metaverse life as well. I I want people to understand that um, the metaverse and being Web three and crypto native and all that stuff doesn't mean that we have to separate ourselves and personal face to face relationships as people. It just means we have another avenue of communication. So I, that's that's something that's really really um, really important to me. So and and the other thing is, I think um, when people make an assessment of an attorney, they really picture themselves in a couple of scenarios. Whether it's going to go to court or or uh, some negotiation or not, I, I I think a lot of people say, okay, uh, if I step into a courtroom or a room to negotiate, is this person going to be able to to get me there? Are they going to put up a W? Um, and they make it a, a the decision largely based on on just interpersonal communication skills, and so I am not. You know, I, it's hard for me to communicate all of that online. 
it, 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 even in this podcast, like if we were sitting there in the room right now, there would be so much more feedback between us. Uh, you know, we, we'd see, how, you know, how are our hands folded? How are our legs crossed? How, like, what do our breaths sound like? What's the temperature of the room? Is there a little bit of perspiration? Like all these different factors um, that you only get from, from real life communications. Um, and, I, I, and I just enjoy talking, if you couldn't tell already. Yeah, well, you're, you're very good at it, and uh, you're, you're absolutely you. right. I mean, even this podcast has just been something where I can reach out to people in the middle of a pandemic and, and make that connection, but it is definitely no substitute for being in person, as you said. So uh, it's very important. I'm, I'm conscious of your time, but how can people reach you? And uh, if, if you're listening to this, uh, at the very worst, contact Carlos, and you'll have a great conversation. Uh, and there you go. You'll, you'll work together. <laughs> but how do people reach you? And is there anything else uh, we've we've left on the table here that you want to get across uh, in this Web3 space that we haven't touched on? I think we've actually covered a lot and, and it's it's really good. I think my goal with these conversations is always have people walking away knowing more than they knew before, but with some questions too, some new questions. Uh, so the best way to find me is probably on social media. Uh, it's Carlos G underscore ESQ on both Instagram uh, and Twitter. Uh, and then our, obviously our social media accounts for Web3 Lawyers. It's Web3 underscore Lawyers on both Instagram and uh, Twitter. Uh, and then also be sure to follow Farfetch Labs, which is just at Farfetch Labs on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can find myself and, and my partners there. I have a LinkedIn profile also. Uh, my full name is Carlos Garcia Aguilar. So if you're going the LinkedIn route, I know that's kind of like the, the stuffy social media, uh, but I, I'm still on there. I, I still really enjoy it, uh, especially with colleagues. Um, but that's, that's the best way to find me is social media. So just Carlos G underscore ESQ. And for more general information, web three lawyers.io and farfetchedlabs.com. Yes. And then, if, and, and then uh, when people are ready to mint their scientists to use our vial token uh, for, for consultations, for, uh, you know, strategic business issues, go to farfetchedlabs.io and you can mint a scientist that produces the vial token. And I'll give you a, a little more alpha for the crowd, depending on when this airs we will be launching our Genesis collection of crypto geeks. And it's so cool. I, it, sorry. I, I just, can I, can I tell you about this? I, I'm like, I nerd out when I, Please, about yeah. how so crypto geeks is really, um, and a lot of, a lot of credit goes to the artist, uh, to, to Miklo, to Guillermo. He, he's just fantastic artist. Uh, and Isaac who, who helped set up the website and, uh, Latino verse and some of our other partners who, who have really helped. But, um, Crypto Geeks is designed to be a community for in real life events where we have three groups of people. We have folks that are established in the industry, uh, some high profile people that have, have done projects, a group of people that's getting ready to do projects or interested in doing projects, and then a bunch of enablers. So venture capitalists, accountants, lawyers, and, and bringing them together in one place for events at like NFT LA, NFT NYC, um, things like that. And then having that conversation continue in discord in our community because you and I have both probably been to events where you meet a bunch of people and you're like, Oh my gosh, how do I remember everybody's name? You know? Um, and that's where the discussion starts. And we want to drive that discussion from there. The way it fits into the bigger pictures, they come on over to Farfetch labs 
when, when they're ready to do something, when, when they're ready to put their innovation out there for the world. That, and that's how the whole sort of ecosystem works. And, uh, and so we'll be launching Crypto Geeks, which will be 333 in the Genesis collection. They're also going to produce a token that can be used in the ecosystem. Um, and we're just super excited about it. So, uh, you know, Farfetch Labs, Web3 Lawyers, Crypto Geeks, all, all that stuff is just, we have so much fun doing it. And, um, and I have such a great team. Like all, all of this is a team effort. So it's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I have a feeling we'll be talking more. And, and please consider this an open invitation to uh, Cool Hand Crypto because I, I know you're on the front lines of all this. And it's uh, extremely educational and important and interesting to hear about. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it.